If you have a Bible handy, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. We are discussing a preacher who was not photogenic, but he was true blue. The Apostle Paul gave his life for his love for Christ, and in our passage today, he reveals the essence of his heart, the heart of a servant. Dave? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a portion of scripture that I think is very insightful, and it presents to us a man who had no water gates under cover, he wasn't fooling around morally. In fact, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have had a lot of presence on TV. His personality wasn't electric. He wasn't a media person at all. What the Apostle Paul had was the genuine Christ powerfully living within his life. He was a man who claimed to have actually seen the resurrected Lord. And he was ordained by God to be an official spokesman for Jesus Christ. And so he begins 1 Corinthians 9 because he had a credibility problem, a lot like preachers across the United States have these days. He had a credibility problem. In fact, he had one of the worst kinds of credibility problems. It was a credibility problem with his very intimate friends, people that he won to the Lord. His credibility problem was rather unique. It wasn't because he was taking too much money. It was because he wouldn't take any money which shows you how far that we've come. The Apostle Paul was a rare individual that wanted his entire life to become an object lesson of the freedom of God's grace. And the Lord called the Apostle Paul not to minister to a church family such as ours and to stay year after year and to build up a family of believers and to help them to mature. The Apostle Paul had itchy feet, not in an illegitimate way, he was always on the go to take the gospel into new areas, which is one of the heartbeats of an evangelist. And as he took the gospel into new areas, he was very concerned that none of these unbelieving people would be able to say, he's only in it for the money. He only does what he does to get a buck. And so we learned the Apostle Paul would not take any money from these new believers that he had reached or unbelieving people that he was attempting to reach. Now there's a balance in that. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about the right that an apostle has to take money. And he talks about the fact that a preacher of the gospel, according to the word of God, is worthy of his wage. And we talked about how a church family needs to take that very seriously. And the burden of that family's life is to be sure that the man of God who is proclaiming the gospel, who is teaching the gospel, who is helping them to grow spiritually, they in turn should respond and meet their needs physically. Right in the middle of the chapter, after going through a very careful argument of why those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, I gave up all those rights. I chose not to take any remuneration. And he says, I chose to do that because my preeminent concern is not to do anything that would hinder the gospel. And this whole idea, a very strange idea for us as Americans, was introduced into our thinking. You see, as Americans, we are concerned about our rights, aren't we? I have 
my rights. I have my freedom. I can do what I want to do. And that's a very precious thing. And it's a very important thing. And the Bible, like for example, in the book of Galatians, talks a great deal about freedom. And the fact that we're not under any religious hierarchy. We're not under any rules or regulations. We can have our own free, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But a problem can come when we start to push that and we begin to think that we are free to do whatever we want to do that we're free to live for ourselves, that we're free just to think about what we want and what our needs are. And the Apostle Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 talks to us about freedom, but a very strange kind of freedom, but it's the only way that you can be free, and it's one of those paradoxes that you need to think about after hearing it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to open your heart to the Spirit's instruction. Because Jesus will declare you free to become enslaved to everyone. He'll call you to be free to make yourself a servant to everybody that you meet. He'll call you to be in His family, to be accepted by Him, to be loved by Him, to enjoy all the riches of heaven. But then He'll teach you that you don't need any of it as far as here on earth because you're free to even give your life for the sake of others. It's this old cross thing again that Paul has been concerned about through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Our faith is about going to a cross. And on the cross, the ultimate free one, the ultimate Lord, the one who could legitimately do whatever he wanted to do, on the cross of Calvary, he gave it all up and became enslaved to the cross because of love. Now that's what Christianity is about. It's what my life needs to be about. It's what your life needs to be about. And this morning we need to think about the freedom that we have in Christ. But it's the freedom not to self-indulgence, but to Christ-like sacrifice. Let's look at it in 1 Corinthians 9, picking up with verse 19. Though I am free, if you look back at chapter 9, verse 1, he says, am I not free? And his answer to that question would be, yes, I am free. Now he picks up that train of thought in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I'm enslaved to no one. No one is my master. No one has their grip over my life. And I'm enslaved to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. Why? And here's the passion of Paul's life, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. A third group, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. In fact, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. 
The principle underlying all that the Apostle Paul is saying in these verses is in the first point in our outline. Paul is saying that he believes completely in lifestyle accommodation, never gospel alteration. Now you're going to have to stick with me because it's very, very easy to confuse those two things. The Apostle Paul has an unbelievable chameleon-style life. The Apostle Paul is almost like an actor who can assume many different roles. His lifestyle is very accommodating. We're going to see that. His message is absolutely unbending. Absolutely uncompromising. Whenever the Apostle Paul told you about the gospel, he could present it in many different ways. He could do it with a whole lot of different styles. He could live many different lifestyles, but he always proclaimed the same message. Now, that's very important. He had the freedom from seeking to earn his salvation. He talks about the fact that he's, when he's with Jewish people, that he's not under the law. And what he's telling us is an idea that he talks about strongly in the book of Galatians where he declares the freedom of the believer. And what he's saying to every one of you today, he's saying you should not be under the law. What does he mean by that? He says if you came to church because you think that God up in heaven will get out his Sunday school chart and he will check off so-and-so was at church. Let's give them a gold star. I'll remember that someday when they stand before me and I'll say, that was very good. You earned some points for me. And some others of the rest of you read your Bible three times a day and he checked off that. And what Paul is saying is that he was not at all into that kind of a performance relationship with God. And that can be one of the most enslaving realities that can ever take place in your life. And some of you were raised in religious traditions where that was all of it. Attendance at church, daily Bible reading. Sometimes it was how many people you talked that were unbelievers that you talked about the gospel with. And all of those things are very good things. Just like the Old Testament law was a very, very good thing. But when it becomes the means by which I have intimacy with God, when I miss my quiet time and I feel that God doesn't love me anymore and that God has left me and that God has abandoned me and I'm a bad person because I didn't fulfill one of these legal obligations that I feel I must meet, then it starts to become an enslaving thing. It becomes a burden. In fact, much of the population of the world lives under religious law. When you go to a Muslim country, three times a day, your day begins at 6 o'clock. Before the sun has come up, the Muslims are called to prayer. And they are very disciplined people in their prayer. They diligently try to take that journey to Mecca because those are all steps along the way to try to earn your salvation. And that's enslavement. It's bondage. Because you can never know for sure whether you've made it, whether you're good enough, whether or not God is pleased enough now. 
Some of you are doing that with God because that's the way your earthly father was. Your earthly father had a whole lot of chores. That's a good thing. It's good to have chores around the house. But when the chores around the house become an issue of whether or not you're in the family or not. In other words, you did not mow the lawn, therefore I would draw my love from you as my son or as my daughter for three weeks until you earn my favor again. Or if you didn't get an A-plus average, then I would draw some of my love until you buck up enough to get your life straightened out and get disciplined. When it falls into that kind of an enslavement, it's a horrible thing. And yet that's the basis of many of our relationships. The Apostle Paul declares that he is free from all of that. He's not under the law at all. He's totally free. In fact, in the book of Galatians, he said that if the Gentile believers thought that they needed to accept Jewish law, they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved, that they would have changed to a gospel according to Satan instead of a gospel according to Jesus Christ. If you start to make legal observance part of your salvation and the basis by which you get into God's family, you become enslaved to a diabolical error. So the Apostle Paul declares, I am free from earning my salvation. But then he says, strangely, he says, yet I'm enslaved to the responsibility to seek the lost. You see, this life of freedom in Christ is not a freedom just to do our own thing and live our own way and do whatever we want to do. You see, if you've genuinely received a good gift, and if I genuinely have come to know Christ, then if I love and if I care about people, I will want to share with them what I found. And the Apostle Paul recognized that and believed that probably stronger than anyone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized that the good gift of forgiveness, the good gift of deliverance from sin, was such a marvelous gift that he wanted to share it. It's interesting how many people really want to find out the answer, how can I get rid of my guilt? How can I get forgiven? How can I get rid of my sin? In fact, I was in a, a psychological psychiatric institution, not for help, but to, well, I was there for help, but not as a patient. It was very interesting. A secular psychologist mentioned that we, many times in our field for years, have been very unresponsive to spiritual things. And we have almost followed Freud, who said that religion was neurosis, was mass neurosis. In fact, Freud evaluated all of you as being neurotics that wanted to gather together with a bunch of other neurotics so you could just have a mass neurotic meeting together. That religion was a neurosis of these large masses of religious people. That's not a very flattering analysis of spiritual values. But that's not at all where all psychology is. And this secular psychologist was mentioning that we're recognizing, talking to a group of pastors, we're recognizing that many of the problems that we deal with ultimately are rooted in this thing called sin. And he didn't like to use that word, but it's, we all understand that. That Carl Menninger up in uh, Kansas wrote a book, Whatever Happened to Sin? 
He said, we're really going to a lot of things happen to people and their lives get messed up because they do wrong and they feel guilty for being wrong. And we know a lot about helping people with a lot of problems. But when it comes to this guilt and this need to be forgiven, that's not something we know a great deal about. The gospel knows a great deal about that. And I thank the Lord I can think back over this week, maybe four or five times, that I've been able to talk to someone that's in a terrible trauma over guilt. I mean legitimately guilty. They actually did blow it. They blew it royally. But I didn't have to condemn them. I didn't have to say naughty, naughty, although I did say naughty, naughty, but it didn't have to stop there. I could go on and say, but there's forgiveness. It doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be judgment. It doesn't have to be condemnation because there's a Savior who loved you enough that He already knew that you would do those things and He hung on the cross to cleanse it whiter than snow. That's the blessing of the gospel. And I trust that every one of you are resting in that freedom, the freedom of forgiveness. The Apostle Paul recognized that when you believe and when you receive that freedom of forgiveness that you want to share it with others. Not because you're burdened in the sense of a terrible guilt that you're trying to get rid of or not because you're trying to earn some kind of performance within a group where soul winning happens to be the top you know, way to get credentials in the group. He's not at all talking like that. It's this very authentic man who has received such a good gift of forgiveness in Christ and he's found such freedom in his life that he wants to share it in the marketplace of life with the acquaintances, with the friends, with the people that he meets. Now, in order to do that, he realized that he needed to get by some things. First of all, when he was with Jewish people, he needed, in order to win a hearing, to change his lifestyle. And though he no longer felt that he needed to obey all the Jewish rules and regulations, when he was with Jewish people, he would act Jewish. Now that's a very interesting idea. In fact, it's a very interesting idea for Jewish missions because like when I was a kid, some of the Jewish missions that I, was, that I was exposed to would make a very big point about if a Jewish person was going to become a believer that they needed to leave their Jewish customs behind. Now, since I was a kid, a whole new movement in Jewish evangelism has developed, and it's called Messianic Judaism, in which you'll have a group of people that worship the Lord Jesus on Saturday. They keep Hanukkah. They keep the Day of Atonement. They keep all the different Jewish festivals, only in the sense of completion. They wear Jewish clothes. They'll, keep, they'll teach Jewish history. And for many Believers, that's rugged. How could they ever be believers? They're not Baptists. How could they ever be believers? They're not Presbyterians. How could they ever be believers? They wear coats and ties sometimes. And Midlothian Bible Church knows that anybody that wears a coat and tie on church on Sunday morning is a visitor. But if a preacher does that, watch out. He's probably one of those professionals. I'm just teasing you a little bit, but it just shows you as human beings, we're so easily locked into what we're comfortable with traditionally. The Apostle Paul, if he was in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem when the Apostle James said, hey Paul, 
a lot of Jewish people in this town that are unbelievers won't respond to the gospel because they have heard that you've gone all over the Roman Empire teaching the dispersion Jews that they shouldn't be Jewish anymore, that they shouldn't keep any of the, of the traditions of Judaism. Would you please clear that up and take a vow, a Jewish vow, and go to the temple and fulfill the vow with, a, with a, about three other Jewish men that would desire to do that? The Apostle Paul says, sure. Now, some of you say, compromiser. How could you ever do that, Paul? I thought you wrote the book of Galatians that said, if anyone is circumcised, that's the end. Well, what do you do when the Apostle Paul has Timothy circumcised? Another time in the Apostle Paul's ministry, Timothy, whose mom was Jewish, therefore culturally he was considered to be Jewish, and therefore every place Paul went, if Timothy was not circumcised, when Paul tried to speak in a Jewish synagogue, they wouldn't hear anything he said. They would only see Timothy, and they would wonder why this Timothy, who had a Jewish mother, therefore he was Jewish, wasn't circumcised. So the Apostle Paul took care of that. He had him circumcised, and therefore, Timothy's ministry expanded. And it was bigger. And it got through a hurdle. Now, that's tough. Titus was a Gentile, not Jewish at all. The Apostle Paul would be burned at the stake before he would have Titus circumcised. Because to have Titus circumcised would have been a capitulation to a group of people saying, in order to have eternal life, you need to obey Jewish laws and regulations. And there we have this unique blend. This man who can adapt his cultural lifestyle in unbelievable ways. When he's with Jewish people, he acts Jewish. When he's with Texans, he would act Texas. When he went back to the East Coast, he would act East Coast. If he went to the West Coast, he would get rid of his blue pinstripe suit from the East Coast and he would put on his beach shirt with an open collar and he would minister in all those different ways. He was an unbelievable guy. Now I know that it's very naive to think that all of you can enter into that freedom, but I want you to see that you can. Because we all get tied up in these things. It's unbelievable how tied up we get in traditions. And what I want us to realize is that the Apostle Paul is declaring to us that we're free to do whatever it takes in lifestyle. Clothing isn't that important. Method of delivery isn't that important. How you do it, the fundamental issue needs to be, am I getting across the message? And we need to be constantly growing, constantly adapting to a changing culture so that the message will come effectively across to people. And this is what we pray you are trying to do in your area of witness. The gospel is too important for us to fight with one another over externals. Satan has divided Christ's body over clothing, styles of worship, styles of ministry, and while the sons and the daughters of the kingdom squabble in the family home, unbelievers lie dying in the streets still enslaved by the cruel one. The gospel is just too powerful and too needed for us to confuse content and form. The content of the gospel will never change, but the forms we use to present it had better change. 
false religion always tries to lock the power of the gospel up in some ancient language and form no one can actually understand many will be mystified by it but those who believe the tomb is really empty and that this resurrected savior is coming back had better use every means possible to get the message out